Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. This week on the show, we have martial artist Chris Adamchuk. Welcome to the show, sir. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about you? Not too bad. I'm really excited to be here. Good. I'm, I'm excited, too. This is. I think we're going to learn a lot. Like I said, a lot of people know from the show, I try to get as many different styles as we can and people with different backgrounds just to... You know, get to more information as, as they can about martial arts. So so with you, let's kind of start back. I'm not sure how far back it goes, maybe your childhood. If you can remember, you know, maybe as a child, what was the first thing that maybe not necessarily made you want to join martial arts, but maybe where you first noticed martial arts and thought it was cool? I mean, you know, depending on your age, I know for, for many people, it's the Karate Kid. For others, it's the Power Rangers, you know, something like that, you know, something to do with uh, entertainment or movies. What, what was it for you that first kind of, you know, opened your eyes to uh, martial me, arts? Uh, yeah, for me, it was... Um, Saturday morning cartoons, Batman. I loved Batman. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Nice. Um, and then uh, my parents signed me up for karate when I was only five. So okay. I was like, it was so cool. I like, can be like Batman and, you know, hit and <laughs> kick things and whatnot. So do you remember then um, when you were five, how long did you stay in that? And do you remember what, what style of karate that was? Uh, yeah, so I first started with uh, Wado Karate, oh, okay. and then down the way when we moved, well, so that was actually when I was living in Tennessee, and then when we moved up here to Connecticut, I uh, took to Goju Ru Karate, and I've been with that ever since. Wow. So how long did you end up doing karate when you were little? Uh, yeah, I believe it was down there three, four years before we moved up here. Oh, wow. And then, so we moved up here in 2000. Okay. And so I've been at the same uh, I've been studying the same style as my main style. I mean, I've, I've branched out and studied numerous other things, but right. as like my core, so I stuck to goju. Okay. So what was it about that first style that made you like it? And then when you moved, obviously made you want to continue. What did you really enjoy about it when you were you know, between the ages of five to nine? Uh, yeah. So the school that I went to in Tennessee, they did a really good job of having kids classes, engaging, you know, because you have to always find this good balance of, you want to try to teach the kids something useful, but you also have to keep their attention. Right. Uh, which is, uh, as an instructor, I it, it can always be a challenge trying to find that balance. And one of the things that I remember that was always really fun in the class is that they were like, okay, they like stopped class and they were like, all right, do as many whatever kicks all the way down the entire dojo. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is my chance. So I would always try to do the biggest running jumping kick that I could and usually it was a sidekick so I was always like oh yeah um that was something that I know really stood out when I was taking classes down there so at that age did your instructors ever incorporate games into into the curriculum to and kind of disguise them as exercise I know I've talked to some instructors who have used that technique sometimes uh yeah we we had a few games that we would play um I don't really remember any of them (laughs) specifically but uh yeah we would usually 
have a good balance of uh, having fun and then also, you know, good structure. Okay. So then when you moved then after the age of nine, was it, um, did your parents pick the school? I mean, what, how long was it before you got to, got into Goju and was that something that you decided and you saw, or was it more of like your parents that was closer to your house or what, what kind of went into that decision if you remember at all? Uh, yeah, so we started looking right away. Uh, we tried out a couple places. I didn't really care for one or two of them. And then from my mom's church group, uh, she found out there was a karate instructor at the church. So she was like, oh, let's go to this guy. And I just, I ended up sticking with it. It was, I really loved him. He was an amazing instructor and he basically became like a second father to me. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Okay. And just for those who don't know, just a little bit about Goju, what 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 kind of sets it apart and makes it different on some other styles that people might be more, because that's not one as, as at least for regular people that maybe aren't into the martial arts world. A lot of people probably have never heard of Goju. What, what's something just kind of to describe that and a little bit? Uh, yeah. So Goju, um, Go means hard, Ju means soft. So it basically means the hard and soft style of karate. And the idea is that it encompasses some of the very hard, rigid aspects that you usually think of when you think of karate, but then it also has more fluid and circular motions that you typically more associate with some Chinese styles. Okay. And so then you said, you, you right when you got back there, so you were about nine or 10 when you started this. How often at that age, how often were you going to class? Um, pretty much all the classes during the week. I think it was like maybe three, four classes a week he had for the kids. So I was pretty pretty good at going to all of those yeah yeah it was pretty cool and then uh, i started saying he was he sort of became like a father to me um or a second father to me it was pretty cool because my parents had a little bit of struggle with um uh, either paying for classes sometimes or even just getting to me to the classes because they had a hectic work schedule mm -hmm. and my instructor is actually like you know what i'll swing by and pick him up for class <laughs> Um, that's great. So my instructor would come by and pick me up and I would go to class with him. That's when you know you got a keeper for an instructor there. That's, I've, I've met a few that like that too, uh, that'll go out of their way to, to help kids. And I, I know one instructor that, you know, purposely had a van just so he could pick up kids that couldn't get a ride to class. He wanted to make sure they were there. And so that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's impressive. They're, they're far and few between, unfortunately. Yep. That's so, sure. <laughs> so then you, now you said you, this was around 2000 and you've, you've pretty much stuck with it this whole time. Now, what, uh, what was it that now when you became an adult and, and got a little older, what made you want to stick with that? Was it more so, was, was it a combination of the style? Was it more just the instructor and the relationship you had with him? Was it both? Uh, it was definitely both. I really enjoyed my style that, um, and I really loved all the aspects of it. And again, he was just like a second father to me. It was, I, stuck with them. I was helping with some of the smaller kids' classes, and, you know, I was moving up, obviously, through the ranks, and it was, it was very fulfilling. I, I loved it, and so, I loved being with him. Nice. <laughs> he would, uh, after classes, like, for example, Saturdays after class, he'd be like, Chris, I don't feel like going home yet. Do you want to go see a movie? <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, I'm sure. And he's like, all right, let's go, let's go see whatever movie. Or we would get like fast food afterwards or, you know, it was, it was just awesome. That's great. Actually, one of my instructors, I used to do it a lot too. We'd, we'd, a bunch of us would go to movies or we'd uh, you know, get together and play video games and stuff like that. So yeah, I've had the, the same relationship with instructors too. That's really great. So at, at what age did you get to the level where, because obviously at this point now in your life, you're a teacher. So at what age did you start helping teach and, and uh, 
kind of teaching on your own a little bit? Uh, so I got my junior black belt when I was 13 because um, so, I had been studying eight years at that time. And I started assisting with like the smaller kids classes, you know, because I'm still, you know, just a preteen. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, but uh, it's still good to like start to get that experience of, you know, helping um, almost like really cementing your learning uh, by helping other people, other kids walk through the same step. And then when I turned 17, I believe, I got my actual first Don Black Belt. And I had a little bit more significant role in some of the teaching classes or, you know, the kids' classes. So what was it that drew you to teaching? I know it's not it's not for everybody. You know, obviously, I've, I've worked with a lot of black belts over the years, and some of them just, you know, they don't want to teach. Some of them are good at it. Some of them aren't. What, what kind of drew you to it and, and made you think that was something that you might end up wanting to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, so when I first started helping, I didn't really care for it the most. I'm like, I know how to do this technique. Why do I have to like, can't you like, why you didn't listen to teachers tell us how to do the technique. And I was like, ah, um, but it, it grew on me. I found, you know, I found a lot of interesting little things like, Oh, I didn't realize, you know, teachers always telling us to do this. I do it mostly right. But when I started teaching it, I was like, Oh, all right. My foot placement is a little off. Because one of the other students asked me, you know, something. And so I started having had a better appreciation for um, showing people. And I just, I really fell in love with, you know, passing on that information. That's great. It's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say when I, when I first started doing it, I felt like I learned my own techniques better and got a better grasp of them because I was showing them to other people. So it's kind of the same thing, which is, which is impressive. Now you had also mentioned before that uh, you had branched out on some other styles. What age and, and at what point did this, when you did this, did you continue training with Goju or did you take a break from Goju and then try out other styles? I never stopped Goju. Okay. I still do it to this day. Um, it was mostly around when I turned 20 ish. Yeah, I think it was like towards the end of high school, beginning of college. I was um, interested in, you know, branching out and learning more styles. So um, some of them self-taught, some of them under other instructors. And, um, you know, some of the basic ones, like not that I studied very deeply into all of them, but, you know, just so you have a basic understanding of, you know, the stylistic aspects of like Taekwondo or Tai Chi or et cetera. Um, But what I... Uh, started studying most of out of other things. I um, started studying more Krav Maga oh, as okay. well as Kali. So those two I felt had a very significant impact on my training overall. So is that something you do? You still work in any of those styles at all? Um, not under anybody in particular right now, but I still practice them. Okay. Uh, Krav Maga is primarily the Israeli um, self-defense art, uh, so I was interested in self-defense. Because, I don't know, like, I understood karate was good, um, and it's definitely come in handy, but I wanted more of a real-world, you know, aspect of what to do in certain situations. As well as, I also started learning that Krav Maga and self-defense also encompasses, you know, a whole lot more than just, you know, punches and kicks and how to get out of a wrist grab or you know, what to do here. It, you know, paying attention to your surroundings, noticing, you know, people's posture, you know, if there's a chance they could be holding a weapon. It's um, recognizing verbal cues of predators, you know, the way they ask you questions or they might try to, you know, throw a comment out there that'll get you to respond a certain way. So there's things to, you know, be aware of that or how to handle sexual harassment in the workplace. 
and that just became very attractive to me as you know a realistic very modern day core aspect of learning how to protect yourself wonderful and then with cali i'm assuming that was more for the weapons you wanted that or yeah uh i really wanted you know karate has a little bit of weapons you know we mostly think of like oh bow staff and then shaku and i had worked with those but i was like all right well what about when somebody pulls a knife on me like when somebody just like comes at you swinging like you know no barely any technique but just like pure raw energy and that's sort of that's kind of a fairly different thing than somebody you know squaring up and fighting with you uh so i really wanted to learn more about knife defense you know all that sort of stuff so now with both of those styles that you branched off into do you incorporate that into your training right now for your students oh yes absolutely we go through like everything nice so let me ask you this and now you said that was about uh, the age of 20 when you started doing that at what age did you branch off and open your own school how long did you i mean i I, i'm sure you still train with your current instructor obviously but at at what at what point did you branch off and and kind of what led to that decision to open your own school uh yeah so i actually opened up my own school last year um actually a few days ago i don't know maybe a week or two ago yeah it was like a week or two ago you know how things are during quarantine era like (laughs) everything held together um it was like two weeks ago was our one year anniversary uh so really exciting um I branched off to focus a bit more on the self-defense and and uh, weapons uh, aspects of martial arts, as well as my teacher is, you know, next county owner over, and I'm working more in, you know, this New Haven area. My teacher's down in Bridgeport. So, like, I'm up in this area a lot, and I might as well try to, you know, do something to help the community around here. And so that's why I opened up my, my own school. That I can do that. I, I'm trying to remember when we when we initially talked a couple of weeks back. Did you did you say you're connected with the university for your school? Uh, yes. So um, I have um, my regular job <laughs> is uh, I'm a research assistant at Yale University. Okay. Uh, which is really fun. I love it. Um, and then you know, uh, being part of the university, you get like all the little like news updates on like you know things happening around campus and they alert you to like when there's you know oh somebody saw this person here or oh somebody was robbed over here stay away the area or oh this person something was stolen if you have any information or so like we're when you read the regular news you're more just hearing about the larger scale or the you know more profile cases mm-hmm. so not necessarily that there's you know a huge amount more of crime in our area but i started noticing hey there's a lot of like little you know, things going on. So I was like, how can I, how can I help? So I started reaching out to different uh, groups on campus and was like, hey, do you want some sort of self-defense lessons? Like I can go over a bunch of different topics. And so I started, you know, coordinating, collaborating with just different groups on campus. Um, we have like Working Women's Network and uh, LGBTQ affinity groups. And then there's like all the residential colleges and grad students and there's a health center and so like I just started coordinating with different people and started teaching some of the classes I even talked and had discussions with uh, on campus police department and uh, to coordinate efforts a little bit so that you know I'm teaching within the guidelines of the university's you know safety policies that you know it's a that the uh, 
actual goal is not to really incite violence or to like make everybody a fighter who can go out there and, you know, just take on crime on the street. That it's really more about getting through all of these encounters. So like when you're robbed, you know, what are two or three things you can do to make the situation go more smoothly um, so that you're less likely to be in danger, but you're still walking through the whole process of getting robbed rather than trying to, you know, fully resist the robbing. So you're not training the next vigilante Batman from your childhood, huh? Correct. Unfortunately. I mean, you, you got to think when, 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 right, when you were, when you were a kid, that, that thought had to cross your mind. I'm, I'm going to be Batman when I grow up. I mean, come on. Yeah, right. Just need that billionaire yeah. to, to buy you a bunch of toys and go fight crime at night. So, <laughs> so what now you were teaching just some, some seminars and individual classes. Now what, when did it become like a full-time, not full-time, but obviously an actual school on campus? Um, so it's not a, so I like uh, most of the years. I I sort of act like a contractor okay. for the university, teaching at different locations on campus. Uh, I still don't have a physical location for my my own school yet. Okay. Uh, I rent. I do some public classes that I rent them off off time off space. That's the right word to use. <laughs> Unused hours at like a yoga studio in oh, New Haven. Okay. So I do stuff like that, and then I have a. Um, private dojo in our basement that's pretty well fixed up and a nice big backyard for some private students that come over and train train them wonderful so like let's say just you know hypothetical someone talks to you and you like a maybe a parent and you find out that uh, they're considering getting their kids in martial arts what are some advice or some tips you'd give them on looking for a school, looking for an instructor, you know, maybe not necessarily just obviously great if they came to you or something like that, but you know, just in general, if someone wanted advice on picking a martial arts school, what are some things you'd advise them to look for and maybe avoid? Um, one thing that I, I, would, I would suggest is because I've noticed this a bit when I, when I was looking around at different places and just to sort of feel out um, other martial arts places in the area was I found it kind of odd that you go to certain martial arts websites and they don't really post a price. Exactly. And I just find yes. that really, find that really off-putting that like, there's just something that you're not being upfront about. Like it's fairly simple. Here's our price, you know, here's our classes, you know, uh, I see some that are like, oh, there's this whole enrollment. And it's like, can't I just come watch a class? So I would always recommend going and watching a class, you know, mm -hmm. or even a couple. A good instructor should have no problem with, you know, even a few free lessons so that you understand what you're really, really getting into and looking at. Um, so that's another, another big aspect is going and watching and seeing how um, instructor interacts with you know, the kids. Yeah, you, you get a kick out of this one. I, I, I was, when I lived in California years ago, um, I was checking out local martial arts schools and I actually called one cause it sounded interesting and they wouldn't even let me come watch a class. They wanted me to fill out like a 20 or 30 question questionnaire and do like a background check because what they were teaching was so secretive, the secret ancient you know, martial arts stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I wish I could remember the style, you know, but it, uh, I, I don't for the life of me, but yeah, it was, yeah, not, I'm not, I'm sorry. <laughs> not interested. Uh, I, I get that. I, I totally understand. Yeah, it's it's, cra it's crazy. It's so funny when they're like, "Oh, the ancient, you know, this." When they act like things are, you know, semi-mystical, and it's like, it's it's just physical techniques. Like, come on. 
One of my instructors used to have an ad posted on the bulletin board in his school because it was so hilarious. He clipped out of the newspaper like in the early 90s. It was a P.O. box you could send like 1995 to for this like secret martial arts training thing. Uh, it was like some secret style. And it included the famous Armenian death kick is what they called it. <laughs> and it was, I was just, people would read that and, you know, coming into the school, like, is this for real? We're like, I'm probably not, but it's, it's funny. <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all about marketing, uh, but I can imagine. I, and what's funny is I've actually tried Googling and I can't find anything about it. So obviously it was a scam, but it was, enter- it was entertaining back then. So let me ask you this then in your, in your everyday life, what are some of the aspects of your martial arts training that you do use in your everyday life? Or you think that have maybe helped you in your everyday life? Um, well, I almost always punch doors open or like use my, my fist. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> also for germs. I mean, come on. I don't want to touch all these door handles. So I'll just, you know, boom. That's great. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's on the physical side on the, uh, you know, um, mental side. Um, I don't know. I feel like I, I've always been good at, you know, tackling the project, you know, fairly head on and just sort of bulldozing through it a little bit. So I feel like that's one quality that I've definitely gotten is that, you know, just keep going, just keep going, work on it, work on it. Also, I'm fairly quick with my hands. So I like hands sort of stuff. So like when I'm in the lab and pipetting different uh, things, you know, back and forth, doesn't really have a problem with me. When I was working in retail, uh, I had no problem like folding and like, you know, handling customer service over here, the phone, this, that. Okay, my crossing arms, I'm punching and folding the computer. So that was always helpful. <laughs> hey, definitely. Anything that helps. So in, in like in this day and age, why do you think it's important for, I mean, I've always thought me personally that I think martial arts should be required in schools. And I think everyone at some point in their life should try it at some point. Why do you think martial arts is important for people to try? I think it's just like one reason. There's, um, there's too many reasons. I mean, coordination, everybody should be a bit more coordinated, you know, just, you know, having that sense of, I don't know, going up against another person. You start to really, like, you have a better realization of like, hey, you know, this is what a person can put out. You know, maybe I should respect people a bit more, you know, because um, most people haven't gotten into, you know, full swinging fist fight. Right. And, you know, I feel like it's, you, know, you understand, you know, what a person can dish out. So in terms of, you know, even somebody who's not very skilled, it can be surprising what somebody can dish out when they're fully enraged. So it's, you understand that, um, I don't know, that I want to solve things without having to get to that point because that can also be kind of, you know, as much as I'm used to fighting people, it's, you know, I don't want to go around getting in every fight I can. Right. That actually leads to my next question. Have you ever had to use it in a real life situation? Mildly. Um, I got into I had a few instances in high school. Yeah, there was one in high school. Uh, actually, there were two in high school. Three. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I had a couple instances in high school. Um, they were mostly, they weren't, didn't really end up being fights. I used quick, simple technique and distanced myself. That pretty much solved the problem. And in one instance, right after I did my technique, I yelled out the teacher's name, hey, come here, you know, and the teacher came over and it was basically all over. It's, it's actually not really surprising. I'm, I'm hearing that more and more and more people I talk to, it seems like a lot more people who study traditional martial arts, a lot of them as a kid, they get into it maybe thinking they're going to want to use it to get in fights and beat people up. But as they progress and as they become more adept at the martial arts, the times they actually use it is they use it to avoid a fight, which is impressive. Yeah. 
So just going back a little bit to Goju, just kind of take us through, uh, first of all, how long does a typical class last that you teach? And just kind of take us through a basic class outline. Like what would it be? What's, you know, is there like a, a 15 minute workout? Is there an hour of technique? Is there a you know, cool down or something like just kind of take us through a, a basic class and, and what that would entail? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so our typical karate classes are about an hour uh, that I teach with the kids. They usually start with, you know, warm up well, before class. You know, we usually line them up. We go through our creed, help tie belts. <laughs> Sometimes we spend a few minutes just on, okay, we're going to walk through the belt. You know how to tie your belt. Um, although I will say I've become fairly skilled at tying a belt backwards on somebody. See, I always do it from behind. I always do it from behind. It's easier for me to stand behind, especially with the kids because I'm taller than them, to stand behind them because then they can see what I'm doing too. The same, so the hands go the same way as their should. But <laughs> I've done I've done it both ways. <laughs> yeah, and then then we usually start with some sort of warm up, you know, running around, some jumping jacks, you know, basic calisthenics. Uh, the kids usually love it. I bring out a bow staff and I have them jump over the bow staff. That's like the exciting part of. Uh, you know, the warm up. And then I typically have them all start with uh, rollouts, you know, rolling and falling. Till that's a really important thing and takes kids a while to understand it. So I like to do that like every single class. They're cool. used to falling down, hitting the ground. And then then we'll start with some kihon. We'll go through some basics, uh, review, you know, some stances, strikes, kicks, et cetera. Then we'll usually try to break up the class and do uh, some partner drills, uh, avoiding kicks, you know, blocking, whatever, counter-striking and resetting for the kids. And then we usually do some kata, walking through their kata. And then we typically end classes with some sparring because, you know, it's always good to end on that high note. Right. Really good for the little kids. So either... Usually they'll they'll spar up with each other, or sometimes I'll come out with the gloves, and uh, they all get excited because they know that at some point I'm going to stop being serious, and it basically just becomes a free for all. Everybody attacks Sensei, and <laughs> <Nice>. you know, <laughs> that's fun. Cool. So then, just a couple more quick questions. These ones kind of a little more fun one, but uh, if if you have a favorite martial arts book, what is it? Ooh. Um, I did. I did really enjoy uh, the Tower of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. Um, One of my favorites. Yeah, I. It's really cool because it's like you did a really great job of it's like instructional, it's workout regimens, it's hand drawings which are really neat. Um, there's he has like little philosophy philosophy quotes on the side of each page, so it's like oh neat, I can do this, do that, you know. So I can look at the book several times, you know, for different different reasons, which is always really fun. And then probably the last question, do you have a favorite um, TV show and or martial arts movie? Ooh, uh, favorite TV show or martial arts? Or both, if you have two. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, all right, so a movie, what more comes to mind is um, Jet Li's, what was the name of it? Fearless. Fearless oh, by Jet Li. Great movie. Yes. I really I really liked that one. Um, you showed, you showed so many different aspects of martial arts also because he had he had, the, he had a really large change during the movie and realizing, you know, hey, it's not about, you know, hurting people. And then, you know, upholding the honor of, you know, this is what Chinese martial arts can do. And 
oh, he got asthma as a kid, which I thought was cool because I had asthma. Well, I, I do have asthma, and it's amazing how martial arts has, you know, helped that so much. Uh, especially Goju, we have actual breathing katas, um, which has been really fun. And then he shows... I really love the fight scene against the, the big English boxer. I was like, oh, it was so cool. He, um, you know, he shows all the quick movements, and then he, um, oh, uh, the guy does to do like a, a big belly flop on him, and it's like, oh no, little Jet Li is going to get you know squashed, and then it pans down, and he's got his elbows and knees up aimed at the opponent, which I thought was really cool. Also, I'm a smaller-ish fighter, so I like to use some of those like more crouchy elbows, knees sort of movements really come in handy. And when um, the boxer lost his footing and started falling over the edge of the ring and gently grabbed his ankle to stop him, and, you know, they make a whole big point of showing that earlier because of the guy's big weight, one of the nails popped. And, you know, his face almost went into one of the nails, but gently stopped him and I was like, you know, it just shows really cool aspects. And then when uh, all the, towards the final fight scenes, um, his spear technique, oh, I loved, I loved watching his spear technique. Um, and then the fight against the Japanese competitor, it just showed so much respect. Particularly when they uh, ended up close quarter with their weapons, uh, Jet Li was using the three-section staff, and um, his opponent was using a katana, and they ended up tangled and switching weapons. And it was like, oh, okay, all right, this is interesting. And so Jet Li, he was using sword earlier. He knows how to use sword. And the Japanese guy's like, all right, this is kind of like a staff nunchuck sort of thing. And, he starts swinging it a bit, and all of a sudden, bonk, he hits himself in the back of the head. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that's all great. right, that's kind of awesome. Like, you know, with somebody who's not familiar, you know, that it, you know. And then they respectfully traded weapons back, which I was like, <laughs> all right, that's pretty cool. And then they continued fighting with so much respect. It was just, you know. I just remember seeing that, yeah, and I was, I, I was so impressed because you just don't see three-sectional staff in movies, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know when you, you mentioned the bonking of the head. I remember years ago I was working with uh, junior students um, on, on nunchaku, and uh, one of them kept hitting himself in the head. And I, I came in the next day and he was practicing. And he had one of our sparring headgears on because <laughs> he kept, and it was even the foam ones, but he's, he was hitting himself in the head so often he felt the need to put headgear on. So it was, it was kind of funny to see that. And I think he was like seven years old or something. <laughs> oh, no. It's great. Kid, kid, kids are fun. I know I get a, one of the first tournaments I ever went to uh, seeing like the five or six year old spar and the, the gloves mm-hmm. and the, and the shin pads went past their knees and elbows. So they really couldn't bend. So it was like just straight arms and straight legs falling and they fell over and couldn't get up. And it was just, you're, you're trying, uh, trying not to laugh, but it was the cutest thing ever. So <laughs> Yeah, tournaments can can be a bit awkward sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, any any last minute uh, or you know parting words or words of wisdom you want to leave or any. Also, if you have any links or anything that uh, maybe some informative stuff about Goju, we can put in the show notes for people to actually you know click on it and check it out that want to learn more about the style and uh, and maybe a little more about you or anything. Feel free to send those to me and I'll, I'll get them posted in there too. Oh yeah, great. That 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 sounds awesome. I can definitely. 
send you a few links. That'd be really cool. Wonderful. Otherwise, I just want to thank you. This is, this has been a lot of fun. It's been cool, you know, getting to to know you a little more and learning about about the style you teach and a little about your background and and uh, hey, maybe we can uh, sit down and do it in person sometime. I'm, you know, <laughs> who knows how how how, how long I'll keep doing this? But uh, you know, I I used to travel a lot more, and, and it would have been God. 20 years ago, this would have been great. I used to go to tournaments all over the place, but this would have been great to do. But no, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking the time to doing this. And, uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was really fun being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.